0: Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Consorts Introduction and Agrippina! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood.
1: Hello! Hello! And welcome to... No, it's a biggie alley, because it's the first episode of Series 3 of Rex Factor. Yeah. We are back reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. Hmm. That's got to get you going. Yeah, I mean, it did. Yes, unfortunately, we've uh, had a bit of a bad start to the new series, in that uh, this is the second time (laughs) we're recording this. Uh, And then, to top it all off... Uh, We started
0: re-recording this, and I pushed the bin into the plug, which then turned the computer off, so everything we had done to that point had gone again.
1: So here we go again. Here we go, and now my feet are firmly away from bins, plugs... If you are a new listener to Rex Factor, then welcome to Rex Factor as you can tell, this is a very professional and uh, <laughs> oh dear. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod like Rex Factor Podcast on Facebook or email Rex Podcast at hotmail.com. If you really like what we're doing and you want to hear more of us, then join the Privy Council. Mm. If you donate monthly, then you get to hear some bonus content. We've got the Privy Chamber that we record after each of our main episodes. Yep. And also, at a certain level, $5 a month, you get access to all of our special episodes, which are sort of bumper bonus editions on special subjects chosen by our patrons.
0: Yeah, like T, uh, Brunel, William Marshall. Brilliant
1: mm-hmm. ones. So, yeah, no adverts, because lovely people pay us to do it. Exactly. Um, what we do in Rex Factor is we review all the kings and queens in history, plus some other figures mm-hmm. in our special episodes. And usually we have one uh, episode per person, and we cover their life and reign in their biography, and then we review each one by a number of factors. Well, Ali and I provide a score out of 20. Yeah. And then we decide whether or not they have that certain something what we call the Rex Factor.
0: Now, I'm familiar with the factors from Rex Factor series one and two. Series three it's going to be more tricky because some of these are like battliness, aren't they? Where hmm. it's appropriate for a, a king. But unless I'm very much
1: mistaken, and I, I am very much mistaken often, uh, they don't do that. Well, no. So in our first series, we did all the kings and queens regnant of England from Alfred mm. the Great to Elizabeth II. Yeah. Series two, we did the kings and queens of Scots. So Kenneth MacAlpin to James VI. And as you said, the kings are expected to lead in battle, they are ruling, they're the ones in charge, they're the ones accountable mm. uh, for what's going on, for most of the time at least. Mm-hmm. Consorts are rather different, because they are the ones who are married to the monarch. Yeah, Usually that's a queen, but in a few cases uh, it's a man, so a prince consort. Uh, so they're not the ruler, but they're still a key person at court. They often have a major role influencing mm. events at court. Um, so in a way... We're doing the same as before. We don't have any new factors. They're the same factors that we've always had. Mm. What we're going to do is change our approach to how we score them and how we judge them within each factor. Brilliant. So we can still add these chaps to our Bop Bumps pack of cards. Exactly. We'll be able to compare directly, even though it's kind of a different role. Brilliant. Now, before we do that, Mm. um, we should just say in terms of this episode, we're going to be explaining how we're going to be going about scoring them and what the consort series is going to look like mm-hmm. um, and after that we've got a special interview mm-hmm. with Privy Councillor Dr Emma Southern yes who's written a brilliant book on Agrippina who was a uh, wife of Claudius uh, mother of Nero Roman Empress uh, and thus a consort in herself of course yeah yeah, uh, yeah so we thought that'd be a really great way to uh, start this series to have a look a couple of thousand years ago and how they were doing all the consort business But she was great fun, wasn't she? Yeah, it was really good fun. And uh, we didn't lose any of her interview, but we did lose (laughs) some of our questions. So Ali and I have had to re-record our bits, which is fine for the questions, but uh, if it sounds slightly odd to some of our responses, that's because we've had to re-record ourselves (laughs) reacting.
0: good old Graham went through and wrote out what we said at each time, and we've had to go, me uh, going, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Now... Mm. Let's find out how we're going to score those consorts. righty Biography! So, structure is what we do in a normal episode. I will explain the life, and in this case, not exactly, reign mm-hmm. of each person to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. You will ask them incisive and uh, well-informed questions. Always. Um, the difference, of course, is that we're doing a history of consorts rather than monarchs. So previously, it kind of acted as a history of the country because the ruler is the one enacting all of this stuff. But it's going to be a bit different this time, because many of the people we're doing will actually be princesses from foreign courts. So we're going to get a slightly different angle. Obviously, we're focusing on them rather than the king. So we're going to see their early life in a different, often European, court. The reason for these alliances between England and some of these different countries. So we're going to get a slightly different look.
0: Oh, I love that. Hmm. Because that will have so much influence on their life and their decisions in the in English history or British in history yeah. later on that that's really very very important that early stuff isn't it yeah so that along with what's going on in
1: Scotland at the same time we're building up a good picture here of are Britain are. we really are we're going to almost understand our own history <laughs> well the s- end of th- some of us <laughs> um now for the Saxons unfortunately there's not an awful lot of information available about mm. the Saxon consorts um so what we're going to do is what there is available, I'm going to share with you, mm. but for those episodes where there's really very little beyond a name and some basic biographical details, for those episodes I've been able to find uh, quite a lot of interesting stuff about Saxon queenship in general. Mm. So there are often some interesting issues and things that they're up to, so even if we don't know a lot about that individual, we'll always have something interesting to talk about. Cool. Cool good plan. So hopefully they should still be quite interesting episodes so they won't have just ten hashtag remember Iaths all in a row. Yeah, and we wouldn't want to steal dear old Iath Sunday. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, one thing sadly that we're not going to have that we had last time when we do the biographical section in both series are the Heritage Limited playing cards. Yes. Yeah. So Ali would describe what each of our monarchs looked like on these um, special little playing card packs that you can get from, you know, any castle or historic site in England mm. and Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't have them for the consorts, and I did uh, send them an email a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. But sadly, didn't seem to... Uh, I sent them one as well. The effect, they never replied. No. no. What I thought might be fun, we've got a lot of very talented listeners. What we could do is have hashtag consort cards. Listeners can send in their yeah. own uh, artistic interpretation of each consort.
0: Oh, I love that. And we can we can put that up. And that's what I can see. Yeah.
1: Well, they need to do it after the episode, really, because they won't, have, they won't know anything about the consorts until they've listened uh, to it. Right? So I could review it on the next could one? could review it, or indeed at the end of the series we can have our own Little, playing cards, yeah, own pack. So if you send in either to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or email, send in your own ideas. Hashtag, what was the hashtag? Consort cards. Consort cards.
0: Battling
1: So this is one of the main ones that people Uh. have been asking, how are we going to do this for consorts? Because previously we'd often be looking for direct evidence of the monarchs getting their hands dirty Mm. in battle. So we want the monarch either fighting personally, leading the troops in battle, or acting as a sort of general Mm. at the back. Um, Later on, when you get to the Georgians and the Windsors, we don't expect the monarch to be fighting. No. So what we do then is give them indirect credit. So any military stuff that they do do, Thumbs up, yeah, some Rexy points, but otherwise, we gave them credit for backliness that happened in their reigns,
0: yeah, yeah, because Victoria was busy uh writing a diary, yeah, so (laughs) couldn't wield a sword, yeah, uh, so but
1: actually, I mean, yeah, Mm. so she got points for Empire stuff, yes, even though she wasn't personally Mm. doing it. Now, for the consorts, their role is very much not to be involved in the military. Mm. campaigning of the country they're specifically not meant to do that mm. so it would be harsh for us to expect consorts to be personally conquering france i can't see a way around this it's not going to happen so instead again if they do have any role in organizing military affairs we will give them credit for that so you uh i know you will say in the interview that margaret of Anjou is one of the ones you're looking forward to yeah and she does have to step in when her husband henry the sixth um, yeah, Ill, she steps in and organizes stuff for the Lancastrians, so she will get credit there because that's she's, easy. Yeah. yeah, but also we're going to get those who don't have a chance to show off their military skills, but they do effectively fight for their own corner and show independence or agency. So, for example, Catherine of Aragon, who actually does have some of the military stuff as well, but later on she resists Henry VIII's attempts to send her off to a nunnery, get that divorce. She fights him all the way. Will mm. not go. Quietly. Personal battles. Yeah.
0: Gosh, she's going to... Oh, sorry, I thought we were doing Catherine Arrigan, arrogant. <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah.
1: That would um, be a great one. That would mm. be a high scorer then. Yeah, well, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but so, if they do have some engagement in military affairs, top points. But if they are fighting their own corner, showing agency and in independence, yeah. that's also something they're going to credit in battleliness. Oh, that's brilliant. That's mm. clever. you got your head screwed on here, Graham. I tell you. Mm. Yeah.
0: Scandal.
1: So, previously, what we'd be looking for is a range of nefarious activities from our monarchs. Violence, on a personal or grander, (laughs) and preferably graphic scale. Murder. (laughs) Yeah, love it. Again, either personal or arranged. Mm -hmm. And, of course, bedromantics. Sex with nuns. Exactly. And the objective, we're looking for things that would hit the headlines or that reverberate through the ages. Yeah. Now, our new approach, and the issue that we've been mulling over... Is that powerful women tend to get their names blackened by rather standard and uh, misogynistic tropes yeah. through the contemporary historians that are either money grabbing or they're adulterous? Yeah. Uh, as Catherine de Medici said, We of all princes that be women are subject to be slandered wrongfully.
0: Yeah. And we and
1: don't want to be perpetuating misogynistic myths. But we also don't want to have a very dry scandal series where we don't actually yeah. have anything fun to...
0: Yeah, do well. and I think Dr. Emma does a good description of what we're going to... or, or what she thinks we should do.
1: Yeah, so this is uh, Dr. Emma approved mm. um, because we have kings that fell foul of the church and like William Rufus, for example, where we've got them talking about him blaspheming and mood lighting and all sorts of nefarious stuff. I love stuff. that guy. But probably a lot of that they're making up because he just doesn't really do what they wanted him to do with the church. Don't spoil it. (laughs) But we were happy to give him scandal points Yeah. without worrying too much about that. Yeah, yeah. So for the consort, we will cover the gossip. We will assess the likelihood of whether it was actually true or not. But we're going to consider whether it was scandalous at the time. Yeah. And so even though we might say that a lot of the stuff about Anne Boleyn, for example, isn't true... It's nevertheless the fact that it was something that was being discussed in it was hitting the Tudor Times headlines. Yeah, I suppose then. like uh we
0: gave um Henry the Second absolutely the top mark for um Not literally, but we gave him a high score. A high score. <laughs> we undermarked him. For um scandal. Yeah. But even then, there's that question mark over did he say he will rid me of this troublesome priest? Yeah, and, we and he didn't do it himself. didn't
1: think he meant for Beckett to be murdered. Yeah. Which I think is why we didn't give him 20 out of 20, but he still got oh, did we not? a high score, yeah. Oh. But Elizabeth I and Mary Queen of Scots, both of them, we gave quite low scandal scores despite lots of rumours because we thought, well, they're making this stuff up. Because- yeah,
0: and if it, if it was a rumour,
1: as you said, yeah, yeah, so
0: if it was a rumour and a king, we were happy to accept it and we'd have scored him on it. Mm. whether or whether or not it was true.
1: Yeah, okay, I'm on board. So we're going to be historically accurate where we can, and we will say whether or not things are likely, but if, you know, contemporaries are talking about it, if ambassadors are saying, you'll never guess what the England's been up to. We don't want to hide that from Rex fans. Exactly. Subjectivity. So this one is perhaps a bit more similar. Uh, I'm worried. To the other ones. Um, Previously, what we would define this as, would you want to be a subject? So we'd be looking for the king doing good things in terms of law and order, peace and stability, cultural patronage, religious patronage, your favourite, that sort of thing. Yeah. Was not improvement from how things were before? Do they do good stuff? Mm. Now, really, that's going to be pretty similar for the consort. And in fact, the consort is often expected to be the one doing a lot of this stuff at court. Right. So the cultural stuff, the lot of the religious patronage as well, is actually the consort as much as the king. So sometimes we've given the king credit for stuff that was actually done oh, right. by the queen.
0: Because I imagine, uh, certainly medieval ages, there's going to be a lot of kings who, if they had their own way, would have just done hunting and war. Mm, and um, it with the first. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I imagine uh, there's, th- and this is where perhaps that personal battle thing will come in as well, mm. that um, they might have been pushing for more, they might have had their own agenda that they pushed through. Yeah that was perhaps less worrying, more charitable.
1: Exactly. Longevity. So, previously, this was for how long did the monarch reign? Mm. Uh, we varied our scoring with this. Initially, it was just the number of years that they were king or queen. Yeah, yeah. We decided it was unfair because you could be a really bad king, but if you have a long reign like Henry VI, you end up with a really big total score. Yeah. So we then had uh, a couple of different formulae that basically converts their reign into a score out of 20, so it's consistent with all the other ones. That's Yeah, and that was brilliant when that happened. That changed a lot. So we ended up with the ediometer, so all the reigns are put in order, converted into a score out of 20 based on quartile, so it was evenly balanced from the lowest reign to the yeah. highest rain. Yeah, yeah. So for the consorts, there's no reason why we can't do the same thing, except that the consorts can survive the monarch Oh, and still have a role to play as queen mother, or quite rarely queen grandmother.
0: Oh, yeah. So that so they'd be, so their reign is yeah. sort of carrying on into the one of the next king and the next. Yeah, and particularly consort.
1: If, if it's their son or daughter, and that's a young monarch, they might even be a sort of almost a regent. It's mm. particularly the case in Scotland. Not whether we're doing the Scots, but mm. you know they mm. actually have a very important role after the king has died. Yeah. So, we are going to give them credit for that, but it doesn't really seem right to give them the same amount of credit for the time as Queen Mother to the time as Queen. Yeah. So, what we're going to do is have a sort of a scale Mm. of scoring. So, for the period of time that they are Queen Consort, they'll get full points. So, Mm. those years are however many years it is. For the time as Queen Mother, we'll halve that score. So, if they were Queen Mother for 20 years, we'll credit them for 10. Yeah. And if they are queen-grandmother, then we will halve that again. So it will be a quarter, right. of whatever total it was. So, for example, if you were queen-consort for 30 years, queen-mother for 20 years, and queen-grandmother for 10 years, you'd get 30 times 1 for the queen-consort, so yeah. that's still 30 years, 20 times a half for the queen-mother, which is 10, yeah. and then 10 times a quarter for the queen-grandmother, which is 2.5. So it's a total reign of 42.5 years and we then convert that into a score out of 20. Got it. Now,
0: I've got it right now, mm-hmm. but I will have to have that reminded. Indeed. Me. Yeah. I
1: mean, essentially how it will work is that I will just basically tell Telling you me how many scores I've <laughs> got, <laughs> yeah. how, what score they It's like a the corn
0: end. law, from what I remember, of A-levels. There's there some sort of sliding scale of prices. Quite, po- Yeah, quite possibly. So this, is, this
1: is the Queen Mother Corn laws, if you like. Queen Mother has corns.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dynasty! Not the program.
1: So, previous approach to this one was how many legitimate surviving children did the monarch leave behind? That's all right. So, again, we used to do just a number, but then we converted it into a score out of yeah. 20. Now, previously, we didn't use the idiometer because we felt the difference between 0 and 1 was a bit too harsh. Because it could go from, like, a score of naught for no children to a score of, like, 10 for right. one child. Mm. seemed a bit of a leap. Mm. But actually, to make it consistent and... Producing an heir is quite an important part of the role. Mm. We are going to use the ideometer for dynasty as well. Right. So they're all going to be lined up Mm. and then done in quartiles. Now, the issue for consorts and dynasty is that the consort might die before the monarch or they might die after the monarch. Mm -hmm. So is it how many legitimate surviving children the king leaves behind or is it how many legitimate surviving the queen consort leaves behind and at what point do you stop? Because if the queen consort lives to be 100 and the king dies at 30, and then his children all die at 40, then the queen consort will outlive all of them. Mm, oh, okay. So yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to take it from the point at which the first one of them dies, either king or the queen. Which are the parents. Exactly. Which Got of the you? parents dies first, and at that point we see how many surviving children there are.
0: Okay. Right, yes. No, I, do. I definitely understand that.
1: <laughs> okay. But again, we may revisit this each time. So... Do they have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement, that star quality that we call... Rex Factor? This is the same in all series. Yeah. There's, I mean, this is the essence of the show, isn't it? So we can't change that. It's not all about the score. A one that scores highly will have a better chance of getting the Rex Factor, you would assume. But, but equally, you might have that certain something, but not necessarily have the highest of scores. Particularly the ones that don't have many children and aren't there for very long, but are quite impressive.
0: Listeners who would like further information visit the Mary Queen of Scots episode. <laughs> Indeed.
1: Uh, yeah, and like our first two series, we will have a playoff at the end of the series where all of the consorts that get given the Rex Actor will compete against each other to be crowned the champion of the series. Wow. Okay. I'm looking forward to it more now, because
0: now I know how the... um. Not that it wasn't, but now I know how the <laughs> uh, the structure's going to be. It is. I was worried that it would be a bit like we're trying to uh, make the, uh, what are they called, factors work. Mm. But actually, they do really, they, yeah. with those little tweets, they do work really well.
1: Mm. Glad you think so. <laughs> Thanks. So, we're now going to uh, take a little step back in history. Mm. A couple of thousand years back in history. Ooh. Back to the Roman period. That is a thousand years earlier than we're used to. Indeed. Here is our interview with Privy Councillor Dr Emma Southern about her brilliant book on Agrippina. And, as we said, if at any time Ali and I sound a bit weird, that's because we've recorded it a week later. So, we are now joined by, um, I'm not sure what's the most senior title. Is it Doctor or is it Privy Councillor?
2: Uh, privy Councillor, definitely. So, but I would go with Doctor Privy Councillor, maybe, or Privy <laughs> Councillor
1: Doctor. Privy Councillor Doctor Emma Southern, who is proper historian and actual, fully living Privy Councillor. Yeah.
2: Fully Am I the first living. Privy sure Councillor? <laughs> I'm
1: not sure why I said fully living, because. <laughs> Do you
2: have I'm
1: dead them. ones? <laughs> I mean, we should probably check the spreadsheet. <laughs> <me>. should we should <laughs> get in touch Clearly with their that. nearest and dearest. <laughs> uh so we are speaking to uh emma today because emma um last year actually so it a while well since um, it was first published but wrote a book on agrippina called empress exile hustler whore a biography of the most extraordinary woman in the roman world
2: i did um yeah it was last year and then i sent it to you because i had spent so much time listening to rex factor while i was writing it <laughs> that i felt like you had sort of been in the room with me for a lot of it, so <laughs> ah. I thought you deserved a coffee.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, thank you very much for that. And then we met you. Oh, that's yeah. a nice. I've just seen the title of the. uh
1: Yeah, Ali skipping ahead because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> cutting something up. <laughs> You're about to say uh, that we met. We met on tour, didn't we?
2: We did. But me and my friend Seanine came all the way uh, to London from Belfast to see yeah. you.
0: And um, then on top of that. We were at university at the same time together.
2: And we were at university at the same time. Yeah, we were at University of Birmingham together and never met.
0: (laughs) But you're doing history.
2: Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, we were on opposite sides of the corridor, so I was in the ancient history corridor and you were in the history corridor.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We didn't speak to those on the other side of the corridor.
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) No. We no, just we- mocked you from afar. <laughs> <laughs> Whether well, you were
1: technically in the Middle Eastern part of the corridor, uh, but always going into the history bit because you just wanted to do I wanted castles, to do castles. Was I was so. just pulling it back to Edward all the time. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So Ali was getting excited because I just brought up the um, obviously one doesn't judge a book by its cover. But I just did. <laughs> But you do have a very cool book cover. Yeah, it's a elaborate. really good
2: book cover. I can't take any credit for the book cover, but you should definitely judge my book by its cover. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so quick overview for people who don't know, who was Agrippina?
0: Damn it, that was my only question. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I was going to say Agrippina anyway. Which is it? Is it Agrippina or Agrippina.
2: As Agrippina, we usually say, is the feminine form of Agrippa, so possibly the Romans would have said Agrippina, Um, but the Romans said Kikero, so we can't trust
0: them. Yeah. Correct, fact. Straight away.
2: (laughs) Amazing. Latin doesn't technically have a a soft C, so they would say Kaiser and Kikero, and we decided to ignore that for that, so we ignore it for everything else as well. Oh, right. Agrippina. Cool. um mm. but Agrippina so it's Agrippina the younger she was um she's best known as the mother of Nero um uh. and she was also the wife of Claudius who was her father's older brother um and she was the sister of the emperor Caligula so she was connected to three um three emperors in a row none of whom are remembered particularly fondly uh, but she had she is interesting and the most extraordinary woman because she had a particularly active role in the reigns of her husband and son in a time when that was very 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 uncommon and in fact very 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 unpopular um and eventually got her murdered
1: spoilers
0: (laughs) (laughs) so um she married
2: her uncle she did marry her uncle yeah Ooh, um, when he was in his fifties and she was in her twenties, um, and there's a big, there's a lot of a lot of controversy about why they got married. Um, but basically, it was good for both of them to get married politically, um, because she got to be the empress, and he was very unpopular, and people kept trying to kill him. Um, and she was very popular, and no one was trying to kill her. Um, and his brother, her father, was enormously popular and had already been killed, so um she basically stole all of her popularity
0: <laughs> and the theory being that they wouldn't kill him because it would deprive the nice person of a husband
2: sort of yeah, or at least it would associate her it would associate him with the nice person all yeah right. um, and it gave. Gave him Nero as well, which was useful for him, because that was a better heir than the one he had, who was a baby, basically, and therefore, effectively useless.
1: As when I was reading the book, I was thinking that I had a hard time explaining the Scottish family's trees to Ali. And then coming across this one, there's a lot of intermarriage, and like the Scots, there's an awful lot of killing other branches of the family.
2: That is, and they've all got the same name. Um, there are like three people called Drusus and about five called Livia or versions of it and two Agrippinas and it's a nightmare um, I spent quite a lot of the book apologising I think just for
0: Is that why you called your cat Livia?
2: I did call my cat Livia after um, after Livia the Empress, yeah
0: Oh, a specific Livia?
2: Yeah, so she's named Livia after Augustus' wife, Livia Okay Yeah uh,
1: so that's where they all come from, isn't it? So there's Augustus and Livia. Yeah. And then we've got the various branches of both of their families because they both marry several times.
2: Yeah, so it's the Julio-Claudian family. is The first, um, the first few emperors are the Julio-Claudian family. Um, and you have Augustus is the Julian family and Livia is the Claudian family. Um, and they bring those two families together. And then they are... Um, spend the next couple of generations hating each side basically um and every so often one side gets married to the other side and then the rest of the time they're trying to poison each other <laughs> uh, interestingly Livia and uh Augustus never had any children of their own so they they never came together in like children that would actually bring the family together they just had to keep marrying each side to each other which made it even more complicated
0: Mm, so Nero was the result of the marriage with the uncle?
2: No, he is the son of a guy called um, uh, um, Domitius Barbus, um, And his name was originally Lucius Domitius Barbus until he was 14 when he was adopted by Claudius and then got the name Nero.
0: It's easier, isn't it? I'll do it that. Is. It's
1: quite a cool name.
2: It is. <laughs> There's a reason no one calls him by his previous name, so it just doesn't roll off the tongue.
1: So Agrippina, coming out of Complex Family Trees, Agrippina's got all these amazing links. She marries the uncle, the emperor. She's the mother of Nero, who becomes emperor. So what is she like as a person, as far as we can tell
2: or infer? Um, absolutely terrifying, I think. Um, I spent like two years writing the book about her. Um, Yeah, she is one of these people who once... She gets her mind set on something. She is focused completely on it. And what she was focused on was on getting Nero to be emperor. Um, and nothing really stood in her way. And she, to the extent that she almost certainly killed Claudius by poisoning him. Um,
1: <laughs> we need the. Where's the scandal? Where's bell? the
2: scandal? Oh, yeah. Uh, beep, 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 ding, 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 ding.
1: <laughs> mm, no.
0: Lost it.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. So. She is. But at the same time, she is incredibly effective as a politician in that kind of cold eyed way that politicians who are really good at politicians are like if you I get the feeling that if you met her, she'd be like Bill Clinton, where you would feel like she loved you and was completely focused on you. But if you crossed her, then she would crush you to within an inch of your life without even a flicker of thought about it. Um, she's great. She's absolutely terrifying.
0: Uh, <laughs> so that's the sort of qualities I admire in a medieval king, isn't it?
2: She would have been a great medieval king. Yeah. Like If there had been the opportunity for her to go riding into battle with a sword held aloft, then she would have done it. Um, and then she also would have had a court where everybody was terrified to speak out against her, but also felt like they had got exactly what they wanted. So nobody wanted to speak out against her.
1: Brilliant. Because reading about her, and it's unfortunate in a way that we're about to start our series on the consorts, so I've not yet told Ali about all the Saxon consorts, there's quite a lot of parallels, either in terms of the specifics or the way that women are written about. One of the things in the book I thought was quite interesting is that she was given the title of Augusta. Yeah. And Saxon queens, as Ali will be finding out, initially weren't given the title of queen. And it's something that kind yes. of developed. So you had to have a few who became prominent, often by being the mother of the king, than being the wife of the king.
2: Yeah, she is the first woman who gets that and then turns it into a role in the same way that like early queens get to turn being queen into, into a, a, an active role rather than being just the woman who stands next to the king, um, or just the king's wife. Um, and she... She's the first person who makes that into a job in and of itself. Um, she would have she would have been a great queen consort, to be honest. Like one of the later ones, like an Eleanor of Aquitaine or something. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's very similar, and the way they're written about in terms of the way that a lot of the. Kind of particularly medieval women are written about if they happen to step out of line or get on a horse or um, look like they might be too interested in their own thing rather than just supporting their husband. Um, They just get called a whore and um, an overly masculine or something like that. And that's exactly what she gets constantly, like uh, just called um, disturbingly masculine. She's called quite a lot Uh, (laughs) and not it's not a compliment that they're giving her.
0: But would that have bothered her? Do you think Um, she would have thought, oh, well, it shows I'm doing something right?
2: I mean, she knew that she definitely was not popular with the kind of men who wrote history in the Roman world. Historians tend to be always quite conservative, I think, Um, except me, obviously. Um, (laughs) But historians in the Roman world, um, the Romans really, 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 really hated women. Um, Like, just really thought that women—they thought that women were broken men who hadn't quite managed to sort themselves out in the womb properly and were undeveloped. But they—they they genuinely thought that women were just people who hadn't properly become men and therefore needed to be looked after. So they had a very strict guardianship system where women weren't were perpetually children. Um, weren't allowed to do anything for themselves they had a really um, strict system where women weren't allowed to be involved in politics or law or anything that would involve them basically making a legal decision um, and so Agrippina getting involved in all of those things was to them not just bizarre and kind of wrong for a woman but actively quite disgusting Um, Like it sort of turned their stomach a little bit that a woman would dare to do this. Um, I don't think that she would have necessarily minded that people thought that she was masculine. I think she probably would have taken it as kind of a compliment because in the Roman world, being masculine was a compliment. It was the best thing you could be.
0: That's amazing. I didn't realise it was it was that pronounced. I thought it was just one of those second class sisters and things, but um you know they might have ruled the roost behind closed doors or something but it was that there there was massive misogyny like that of that Oh extent. yeah yeah wow. like
2: they genuinely thought like if you read i mean i don't necessarily actually i do recommend it because it's great fun if you read roman medical writings and things like that you'll find all kinds of things that they thought about how women hadn't properly evolved um and wandering wombs that would wander around their bodies and suffocate them (laughs) Um, and all kinds of bizarre things that they thought about girls uh almost certainly there are plenty of women that were um ruling the roost behind closed doors but um out of outside in the public world they definitely weren't because they weren't allowed any public role whatsoever um they were that kind of thing was quashed very strongly
1: so what does uh Agrippina do that's different because um Livia that we've mentioned before she is um from what i saying she's an Augusta as well isn't she she's yeah. influential behind the scenes so how is it that Agrippina is publicly different
2: so The best way to describe it is that Livia is always like the woman behind the man. So Augustus is the emperor um, and she is behind him doing things in the private realm. So she exerts influence like in bed by talking to him and she does things like foster children who then grow up to be very loyal to her and she does lots of charitable donations and she hangs out with people's wives and talks to the wives and then the wives talk to their husbands and um she, that's what she's focused on there's like one time when she tries to step out and talk to men um when she becomes the mother of the emperor because she's the mother of Tiberius um and Tiberius who is a very grumpy old man just says no and bans her from ta- having men in her house um so she always remains in the feminine realm of like influence and children and charity and having lovely tea parties um whereas Agrippina is seen she is in the Emperor's what's called Concilium, which was like his version of the Privy Council. So it would be his counsellors who would advise him. Um, and she was there, she would uh, she's seen when um, Caraticus is taken from Britain and taken to Rome, um, there's a very big moment where um Claudius receives him sitting on in his throne, and next to him sitting on her own throne, um equal to him is Um, Agrippina and this is a really big shock to the Romans uh, because she's not behind him like Livia was she is always next to him Um, and she is equal to him in power um, and equal to him in in status almost and she wants to be and acts as his co-ruler rather than his wife um she is never behind him and she does things like she founds the city of cologne which is um where she was born and she um does all kind of she does kind of patronage in the senate so she patronizes um men rather than women and children and the arts and she is um very public about what she does and she also does things like turn up wearing big gold military cloaks and um give advice on what should be going on with the army in jerusalem and things which is not what women are supposed to do they're supposed to hold tea parties with wives and gossip and influence
1: i was going to jump in and say great rex fact with cologne mm.
2: i know right <laughs> <laughs> Cologne is um an abbreviation it used to be it was originally called uh colonia agrippinensis they so the oh. colony of agrippina um and eventually then it got just called called Colonia and then Colonia eventually became Cologne.
1: Wow. So if they gone go. the other way. She could yeah. have a city still named after her.
2: She would just be so. called like, yeah, Agrippina. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah. What well, I mean how did she get away with it? If, like if um, the, you know, she's managed to get right to the top. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm walking all over your notes here. No,
1: no, no. <laughs> but I mean, uh,
0: <laughs> But, if it, you know, it was such, it was such a, a male-dominated society that her first move, I'd have thought it would have been quashed straight away, but she rose to the top.
2: She gets to the top because, one, Claudius is quite weak as a ruler. Um, he's quite bad at being emperor on his own. Um and his response to most things is to take the path of least resistance and then sort of execute anyone who has a problem. Um and she is very strong willed and she just sort of don't wanna say bullies, but persuades him that he that she, you know, that she should be equal to him and just kind of I Judging by some of the things that happened in Nero's reign, I suspect that she just turned up and nobody was had the guts to tell her to go away. <laughs> um, and certainly Claudius never did because he was a a bit of a bit of a wuss. Um, and because it is a technically a monarchy, everybody just has to follow the emperor because the emperor can kill anybody for any reason if he wants to. Um, so it, it fo- he everybody just follows Claudius's claudius's lead and claudius is basically fine with her being there because um she's better at it than he is and she is very good at preventing like when you look at the statistics there are like something like 40 people are killed during the reign of um claudius executed for various reasons and almost all of them are in the two years before agrippina becomes empress, and as soon as she comes in she is just so good at diplomacy and politics that she stops having to execute people um, because there are far fewer rebellions against him, there are far fewer people plotting against him, um, and she finds better ways of dealing with it than chopping people's heads off.
1: And also the first few years of Nero's reign when it seems like he's just partying and trying to make it as an actor, and <laughs> but actually it seems like when she's in control or has a certain amount of control, then actually it's going... Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. Things change there a bit because he has two very um, conservative advisors who um, Agrippina put in place, but who are very unkeen on women in power. Seneca is one of them. Who is who? Are, I'm really horrible about Seneca very regularly in print and I'm trying to tone it down because um, I've realised my career is becoming some kind of campaign against Seneca. <laughs> but, um,
1: so you um, Dunstan?
2: He is my Dunstan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just whenever he comes up, my eye twitches. Um, <laughs> he's a fun sponge. Does he um, have a
0: theme song, though?
2: <laughs> he doesn't. Well, you um, need to get
0: Graham onto that.
2: <laughs> yeah, if anyone ever wants to write me a Seneca theme song... <laughs> um but um basically he intervenes and prove and in the way that she was able to do what she could do under claudius because claudius didn't stand in her way seneca and nero do stand in her way and there are a few moments where they physically prevent her from being an active person in nero's reign um and they there's a very embarrassing moment where some a delegation come from Armenia, and she steps up to receive them. And Nero leaps off the stage and kind of guides her away, and just goes, "Hello, mummy, it's nice to see you," and guides her out of the room in like a deeply humiliating moment for her. Um, but. It's pretty clear that she still has a role, one, because there's five years where we don't hear anything about her, but where the emperor, Empire is going fine. <laughs> and two, because eventually, after five years of rule, Nero decides to kill her. Um, And there's no reason for him to kill her if she is not doing something. If she is not involved in his rule in some way, then there's no, no reason for him to want her out of the way. Mm. I was going to say, which he does very badly, apparently, because he puts quite a lot of effort into trying to kill her.
1: Well, I was going to say, if people um, do know about Agrippina, quite a lot of them probably will be <clears throat> the fact that Nero kills her and the fact that it takes quite a lot of work <laughs> to actually kill her. Was it the, was it the stairs, Death by Stairs? I oh, know that's no, Papaya. There's a lot oh. of elaborate plots <laughs> that um, you put in the book that they were yeah. trying to think of. And then even the one that they go with, which is fairly elaborate, doesn't actually does it really doesn't work, work anyway.
2: Nero's not very smart, is the problem. Um, no, Papi- the one he kicks down the stairs is his pregnant wife, Papaya.
1: Uh. Um
2: he kills her. Um, he's great, Nero. He's a real good lad. Um, if you love massive misogynists who like to kill women. Um, but he, uh, So he first tries to poison um, Agrippina, which goes badly because it turns out that she takes antidotes. So she regularly takes antidotes for poison. Um, then wow. he tries to rig her ceiling in her bedroom so that it will collapse on her. Um, so it will collapse in the night while she's sleeping.
1: (laughs) We're getting into Kenneth II (laughs) uh, statue territory here. It
2: is. It is a bit like if he had, you know, but he does go that theatrical because then the one that they end up going with that is almost successful is a collapsing boat which the guy who comes up with it saw it once in the arena um, (laughs) and thought it was a cracking idea. So they go with this boat that nobody really understands but is a kind of staged boat which opens or collapses in some way and tosses the people that are on it into the water and then closes back up again. Um, and so he invites her to dinner and then um, gets her a bit drunk, puts her on this boat to send her back to her um, her holiday home on the other side of the bay. And then as they're floating in the water, it, um, the th- it opens and she's tossed into the water. But what he doesn't know is that she spent... A year in exile on a lovely island, and is a very, very strong swimmer. So she's tossed into the water, and she just swims to shore. And her handmaiden, her slave, goes, "Help me, help me! I'm the empress," and is beaten to death with an oar.
0: What Ali's was face that? is great. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on, she she gets out of the water, is really annoyed with her son, and whacks yeah. someone around the head with an oar. No,
2: no, the um. The people rowing the boat, so there would have been a, a rowboat. Um, beat the the slave girl to death with an oar because she says, "Help me, help me! I'm Agrippina," um, and tries to get saved time. that oh,
0: way. Oh dear! Yeah. Oh dear.
2: I mean, whereas th- Agrippina keeps quiet and swims away.
0: They should have considered a hall burning. Mm, <laughs> worked really well for the Scots. Yeah. That it did. Nice. They
2: never thought of it, you know. Yeah. Um, although he did get into burning Rome later.
0: Australia. Oh, that was it. That was on a grand yeah. scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: he really took all burning to the next level.
0: <laughs> Didn't he? I'll wipe out the entire city. he has <laughs> yeah. got to be in there somewhere.
2: Yeah, um, and eventually um, Nero, Nero kind of loses patience at this point because he's been trying for a while. So he just sends someone to stab her. And eventually he initially tries to get the... Uh, praetorian guard to go and stab her and basically the head of the army says there's no way that the army will go and kill her because they like her too much um so he gets this random guy who hates her for reasons that are unclear to go and do it and a gladiator and someone from the navy um and they go and stab her to death in her house
0: that would have been my first choice before the ceiling just yeah 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 go route one and if that fails you think you had an idea about a ceiling? Tell me that one again. <laughs> um, but so she must have known that it, Nero was trying to kill her with, with the elaborate boat death and things.
2: Yeah, the so- story goes that she, when the guys turn up to like to stab her, they kind of burst into her house at daybreak, and she says. If you've come from my son, you can tell him I'm fine, but I refuse to believe that he has sent you to kill me, which suggests she was a bit in denial about the situation. Um and then she, according to Tacitus, um, who hates her with the power of a five like a thousand sons, um, yeah. she stood up where he, somebody hits her on the head and then she stands back up again and goes like stab me here and points to her womb. And then so they do, and then she dies.
0: Oh goodness brave
2: she's very brave yeah Um, was the fight
1: out of her at that point because like you said that you almost wonder if Nero is worried that she's going to try and raise a rebellion against him in Rome. just yeah. Is has she decided the game's up at this point, or I could think she that have she doesn't more?
2: have anyone. Like once you've got a load of men who are armed in your bedroom, like you don't. Really, there's not really anything that you can do. <laughs>
1: I was thinking before um, the. Uh...
2: Oh, I see. I mean, possibly the fight had gone. Like the choice would be raise an army against my son, or. Uh, or just take it, basically. And I don't. I think that raising an army against Nero was a step too far. She never acted against Nero ever. She was always acting for him, um, much as he potentially didn't see it that way. Yeah, what um, was his
0: problem? I mean, just, his, that's a big question. But I mean, specifically yeah. <laughs> relating to her, why? Why? His
2: major problem was that he wanted to divorce his wife Octavia, um, who was also his stepsister, and. <laughs> um, who was a kind of very nice girl basically very just very nice girl um, he wanted to divorce her and marry the sexy lady that he liked better who was Poppea. Um, and there was no way that Agrippina was going to let him divorce Ag- Octavia and marry popea so um, that's the main reason and also she kept interfering and saying no you can't be an actor no You can't just hold the Olympic Games whenever you want to. No, you can't just kill everyone. Um, And those are the things that he wanted to do, so he just got rid of her.
0: And he ended up killing that wife anyway.
2: He did. He kicked her down the stairs while she was pregnant. Possibly because she then started saying things like, no, you can't be an actor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's shades of your favourite here of Henry VIII. Wow. (laughs) Tyrants. Uh, I... It's a bit early in the episode but I don't like him at all and I like no, her rid-
1: Nero yeah Yeah
2: Nero has no almost no redeeming features he's even got a really bad beard
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is he a good actor was it was no, a, no? oh god
2: No well, well everybody hates him a lot because he's a very very bad emperor um so everybody's very horrible about his acting and his singing um Mm. as the best way to hurt him there's quite a good bit in there's a biography of him by a guy called Suetonius, in which he says that um people would pretend to be dead just so they could get out of (laughs) watching (laughs)
0: it like they would
2: pretend to die in the arena (laughs) so they could go home
0: (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) that is damning isn't it yeah If any pod fans are listening (laughs) and they're pretending to be dead rather than suffer any more of our podcasts, I reckon we should pack it in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: I reckon you would have gone a bit tyrannical if people were pretending to be dead (laughs) to go.
1: Thin lines. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So um, with the Saxons, we'll see, spoilers for Ali, Mm. that um, the women that acquire more power as queen are able to effectively it takes a bit of time but the office of queen develops and becomes more powerful is there any legacy in that sense for Agrippina or is she something of an anomaly
2: she's a one-off for about a hundred years um nobody tries to do it again for a really long time it's not until you get to like the third century um when things start going a bit wobbly in terms of the power of the emperor that um that you start seeing women take the same role there's much more of a a kind of consort situation happening most people stay behind the husband and have good children and do good works like that kind of thing though and not until you get to and they're all given the basically the same treatment that Agrippina gets which is that they're all seen as monstrous female tyrants um, something that the Romans do not evolve on at all <laughs> is the notion of women in power <laughs> wow. um, well, they, do, they just don't it, come anywhere it, near him.
1: That was another question I was wondering with. Always wondered with the Romans because there's so many ways in which they seem so advanced for how long ago it was and, you know, the philosophy and the arts and architecture and all that sort of stuff. Is there ever any kind of feminist movement in the Roman no. period at all? It never <laughs> takes off at all. There's no one that ever says, you know what, maybe women have got no. something valid to bring to the table
2: no only individual women like Mm. a kind of Margaret Thatcher approach that they're interested in themselves and their own families and if they think they're the best representatives of their family then they'll do a thing but there's no never any time in the same way that they never evolve on slavery Mm. um like I'm writing a lot about Roman slavery at the moment and good God, it's depressing um, because they, they never is a, even when they're talking about how you treat your slaves or where slaves come from or going into quite some detail about how slaves are humans with feelings, it never occurs to anybody to say, hang on a minute, maybe we should let, maybe we should not have slaves or maybe we should let women sign their own documents um, or have any kind of public role. It just never occurs to them. You know, the Roman man was the best thing there was and everybody else sucked and that was a shame for them.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Romans. Oh, <laughs> this is why I like them. They're so horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, what's, uh, what does Terry Derry call them? Rotten it, Romans. Rotten Romans, yeah. Good, good name.
2: Mm. Mm, they were. They were rotten.
1: We've not actually talked about the book itself, other than the fact obviously all of this is in the book.
2: Oh, It is all in there, um, with lots more Alan Partridge jokes as well. Really? <laughs> That's what I was
1: going to say, the style of the book is unlike um, <laughs> a history book that most people might imagine or will have read. It's much more kind of readable and, well, I don't know, how would you describe it? Because it's presumably a deliberate sort of stylistic choice.
2: It is. It's deeply irreverent, um, because I don't take too much too seriously. And it basically, it's aimed at... I aim to write it so that it would be very fun to read Um, and a lot of uh, kind of examples and analogies in there to things that I hope people will kind of make people understand what's going on in a way that I try to make relatable to basically people like me who watch a lot of Alan Partridge and uh, (laughs) no one's found the Alan Partridge joke yet. yeah, so it's got lots of little references. I wanted it to be an amusing read and to make people laugh and for people to see what I find entertaining and uh, like uh, funny about the Roman world, but also to show that it's not, because I think a way that a lot of history books write about times on our own is they make them sound really alien and they write about phenomena in a way that make them sound super, like something that we would never do. Like when I talk about, people chasing Germanicus down the street, who's Agrippina's dad. Um, Like they mob him wherever he goes because he's in the same way that people mob like Justin Bieber. I think I compare him to the Beatles. Um, Like it's not like we don't have our own celebrity. It's not like people don't camp outside the, on Christmas day, they camp outside the church where the queen goes to church on Mm. Christmas. Like Mm. people get up in the middle of the night on Christmas Day to go and catch a glimpse of the Queen. Um, And so we do it in our culture, and it's exactly the same in Roman culture. It's just that the way that a lot of history books write about it, they don't make those explicit comparisons, whereas I do, because I want people to see that the Romans are weird and horrible in a lot of ways, but also they are people just like us.
0: That sounds
1: brilliant. And you tell the (laughs) story as well, because I guess one of the problems, and some historians will always be there's no temptation for some historians to sort of infer what somebody might've been Mm -hmm. feeling, what might've been going through their head, but you do, you're thinking what (laughs) she would be going through, what she might've been thinking, what her attitude would have been or could have been.
2: Yeah. And I get around it by saying that this is my version of Agrippina and it, there are other versions of Agrippina available. <laughs> um, like but it's there tricky because
1: are, there aren't actually, in a way, in terms of aren't. actual <laughs> sources, there aren't many versions and they just tend to be misogynistic men that...
2: Yeah, um, but if other people want to read those sources and write a book about Agrippina then, and make it different to mine, then that's fine. Um, there's one other book written about her, um, which is more boring than my one, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, But you can, yeah, so I say this is my Agrippina, this is my imagined version of her and that is, and therefore this is how I imagine her and that's, you know, that's okay. I can imagine her any way that I want as long as it's, you know, this is why I imagine her this way and this is how I see her.
0: How much do you reckon uh, you were helped by the subject? Were you really helped by the fact that she was such a standout character?
2: It does help, yes. Um, Can and the you then fact-
0: write a book about Edward the First, please? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I will move. I will move slowly forward in history until I get to Edward the <laughs> <Okay. laughs> All right. Does he have any good, like, really good scandals or speeches?
1: Uh, Graham, he's got some decent scandal. He's got some decent scandal. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying decent scandal. I'm saying scandal. I mean, he yeah. expels yeah. the Jews from the kingdom. It's not yeah. decent in it's, the moral it's, sense. It's
0: tricky. Yeah, yes, yeah. So it's very difficult, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, there's so many funny situations in history that, as you say, traditional history books tend to just stick for the raw politics, mm. rather than yeah. making it accessible. By um, as you say, showing that they're crazy people. There's crazy people out there today. You know, we're yeah. all human. Mm. Very this is odd. the
2: thing that I think is fun about history and the reason why, no matter how hard I have tried, I have always ended up coming back to being a historian, um, uh, that the history is just people, really. It's just people doing things for whatever weird reason is inside their head. And sometimes they do things for very rational, serious reasons, but probably 85% of the time they do it for whatever odd feeling that they have <laughs> which is why we look back and go why didn't they just do this why didn't they just do that and you're like, well because they had some kind of bizarre feeling at the time that this was the right thing to do um, and most of the time that's quite entertaining and or relatable or super weird um, but it's all just people in the end yeah. and people are great.
0: It's one giant benefit of hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> like,
2: <laughs> everything you know looks super go. rational or irrational in hindsight, but in the moment, yeah. like, yeah. it's really no one's ever making rational decisions about their lives, even let alone kingdoms and things. They're just like, yeah, but I really fancy her. Or, <laughs> mm. Well, because yeah, like um,
1: Claudius's previous wife didn't she came a cropper because she married somebody else at the time? Yeah. What? And even Tacitus can't think of any plausible reason why this could possibly happen. I don't
2: understand yeah, the logistics no of that. I know um, exactly. Yeah, his way wife, her waist. So, his previous wife's called Messalina, um, who I do feel I have quite a soft spot for Messalina because she's about 15 when she gets married um, oh, and she's married off to her 40 year old cousin. Um, and then it, he suddenly becomes she's a bit like, you know, the way that odd people feel a bit sorry for Melania Trump and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, she just married this businessman and yeah. now all of a sudden she's got to do all this politics. It's kind of what happens to her um, and she doesn't really know how to deal with it. And she's sort of terrible. And then she has some kind of bizarre moment where she marries another man while Claudius is on holiday publicly in the middle of Rome. And no one knows why. <laughs> it's
0: just the weirdest thing I've heard. What?
2: So, I mean... And people try to think of some kind of rational reason why she might have done this, but you just can't. Like it makes no sense whatsoever. If it is some kind of coup attempt, it's bizarre. It makes no sense if it, yeah, it just it's just an odd thing that happens. And it ends up obviously somebody goes and tells Claudius that he's been divorced um <laughs> without anybody mentioning it to him. He has a bit of a panic. Uh, and eventually one of his attendants has to step in and sort everything out and kill her.
1: Oh, we should do Romans, Graham. They sound fantastic. <laughs> I think I'll need a few years just to sort out the family tree. <laughs> yeah, I'll need
0: pictures. It it sounds like she was coming around from a, a general anaesthetic or something. Was she all right?
2: <laughs> i'm unclear she might have had some kind of terrible head injury yeah um, yeah But goodness gracious i don't know there's one version of events which is by a satirist who says that um the guy she marries was just too handsome um and she couldn't help herself that she he was just too handsome for her to be able to resist him but then you're just like but there are like she's the empress she doesn't have to marry someone she can just bang them well yeah <laughs>
1: so that is the book it's absolutely brilliant I really enjoyed reading it it's really fun and there's a lot more in there like her time uh, in exile there's another great rax fact in there that I won't spoil but it involves Alexander the Great's nose <laughs> yeah. oh man you've got to read it for that alone
0: <laughs> I do I mean I do keep meaning to read this I know you sent it to us about a year ago but it's um... I mean it's not your role to read ahead <sighs> I know but now we've done this I can
2: yeah. So
1: what are you doing next?
2: What I'm doing next I'm talking about is I'm writing another book um, and I do a podcast myself, which is called History is Sexy, where me and my friend Janina, um, people send us questions about history and we answer them. Um, so that ranges all over the world, uh, and we just did one about Nazis, which is very depressing. And then next, we're doing one about musical theatre and why musical theatre is so interested in history. <laughs> 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 um, and um, and I'm tweeting all the time, and you can buy this book. So, C-
0: give us the title again.
2: Uh, it's Agrippina, Empress, Exile, Hustler, Whore, um, in the UK. Uh, it comes out in America in August, and it is just called Agrippina.
1: How do people follow you on Twitter?
2: Um, I'm at Nuclear Teeth on Twitter, um, and on Instagram. Nuclear Teeth.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, and which is a really, its a long story how I got ended up with that. But I'm at Nuclear Teeth on Twitter, um, or you can find me at at Sexy History Pod or com.
1: And before we let you go, we're about to start our new series on the English consorts so we were wondering whether you have any opinions on the English consorts Agrippina having been a Roman yeah. consort
2: The English consorts are super interesting because they have this constitutional role that doesn't really exist anywhere else and so I'm really interested in there's a whole like strand of scholarship which I suspect you might be quite familiar with now, um, which talks about rulership in in particularly, um, like medieval and early modern Europe, rather than kingship or queenship or monarchy. So I'm interested to see like how they're gonna complement what we learn about their husbands. Basically, also I'm super looking forward to doing George and Anne. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: Sorry, which George?
2: George, who is uh, um, Prince of Denmark, who never becomes the King of England uh. because absolutely no interest in it and then
0: and and right got you um
2: but he is he's interesting because he's basically what you would consider to be a a kind of ideal female consort which is that he just kind of stands next to her and supports her happily and impregnates her repeatedly and um, doesn't do anything to bother anybody um but because he's a man he's just seen as kind of this useless blob (laughs) oh
1: yeah that's interesting isn't Um, it someone in manchester actually said that they were looking forward to him as well so that's two people have expressed an interest in prince george
2: because he's so unusual all the other kind of king consorts well they're not king prince consorts sorry are they tend to be quite um quite involved Um, in a way that a lot of queen consorts are, whereas he's just like, "Uh, sounds like a lot of work. But the vast
1: majority that we're going to be doing will be women. So one thing we're a little conscious of for this series is the danger that it might appear as two men reviewing women in history, particularly when we get to the scandal section. This is the case for Agrippina and is the case for a lot of women in history, that powerful women would always have scandalous stories attached to them by historians because they are powerful women. So, should we be going for these stories because we like scandal and want to get the scores up, or yeah. should we try to be a bit more balanced and redress some of the stereotypes and histories?
2: I say go for the scandal. The more scandal that attaches itself to a woman, the more that she annoyed men around her. That's a good point. Um, so, the more, and um, which means that she must have been doing something public and irritating to annoy men um so i say go for it be aware that it's because she's annoyed them but you know don't waste the stories i say
0: (laughs) yeah we wouldn't want to lose something i just feel like maybe we're trying to adjust the balance too much with mary queen of scots and elizabeth
2: yeah i think the thing is that there is a tendency to be like oh well they this probably didn't happen and that she was probably fine but at the same time like so many of those stories stuck to both of them because there was a certain they were powerful women who were out and about making themselves making themselves a nuisance to men who would prefer if they didn't basically um and um and so that means that they are being active powerful interesting you know public women and so go for
0: it okay that's our approach then official if people ask look for about 50 minutes into this podcast or however many minutes it yeah. is. yeah
2: uh, you could they can come to me it's fine i will i'll argue with people about it all day
1: <laughs> thank you that's good to know so last question who is your prediction for the series three champion Ooh. before hearing all of the episodes obviously
2: before hearing all of the fact oh that's a good one i reckon it's probably going to my feeling is it's probably gonna be one of the Eleanors, probably Eleanor of Aquitaine or someone like that, because I think that they've got all the good stories, and they've got all the good all the good action, all the good battliness. Like I'm gonna go with that. Oh, there's probably loads that I've not heard of that someone might come up from behind, but that's my guess right now.
0: Glad you asked, Graham.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm going
0: with Margaret Anjou.
2: See that would yeah, that would be my second.
0: I I found a Increasingly interesting after those Con Iggledon books. She's brilliant.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us and having shared the book with us. And thank you so much for being a Privy Councillor.
2: Thank you. It's my pleasure.
1: And thanks for coming to see us. That
2: was also mine and Seanine's pleasure. Uh...
1: (laughs) And despite being told in person, we still didn't quite manage to pronounce her name right.
2: Sorry, I've said it twice now, so now it has been said correctly on the podcast. So (laughs) she will be... (laughs) She'll be happy. <laughs>
1: the balance has been redressed.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for asking me. It was a, a real pleasure.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Cheerio. Bye.
0: Correspondence Corner.
1: So, as we said at the start of the podcast, it's great fun to hear from people. So, if you want to get in touch, we are at Rex Factor Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RexFactorPodcast on Facebook. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. If you really want to help us out a lot, leave a review on iTunes mm-hmm. and subscribe or whatever other media you yep. use for your podcasts. If you'd like to make a one-off donation via PayPal, then you can follow the links on our website. Go on. And follow in the example of Julie Hancock, Bob Skeens, Ashley Arack, Cameron Furman and Philip Douglas. Thank you very much. Or if you'd like to receive bonus content with a Privy Chamber podcast and special episodes, you can join the Privy Council. Click the Be My Patron link and you get access to our Privy Chamber bonus podcast and Mm -hmm. uh, also potentially special episodes and other things besides. Check the details on the website. Help us keep it ad-free and keep making podcasts. Thank you. Now, we've had lots of people who have um, become Privy Councillors since we last did a proper podcast episode. So apologies, A, that this list is quite long, but B, that it's by no means comprehensive but listen out for those
0: handles because when Graham reads this mm. out because you, you can't see us I love it when he goes there has to read
1: out uh, Lizardman3359 <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much to L.M. Sturch, Joe Hosu Emily Willingham Chris Atwood Robert Williams these are all a bit more uh, normal uh, yeah, ones, I know. Yeah. Andrea Foxwriter Alexander Ward Thorvald <laughs> B.F. that that might just be <laughs> <laughs> Apologies, <you>. Sir Thorvald. <laughs> BFS 727. That's a uh, Messerschmitt, isn't it? Oh, no. Stephanie Russo. Craig and Helen. Sailor W. Linda Kerr. Jackman 401. Lingophilia. Adam or at additives. Edward 7802. JFD0. A. Haskett. Solgun. Khadija. Juliana Docas. Jermaine Fairclough. And Monica Dudley. Arise, one and all. Thank you so much for all of your help. So, a couple of other podcasts that might be worth drawing your attention to. Yeah. One that we were in, the Viral History Podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is the first time we ever actually have recorded in a proper recording studio. Yeah. 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 There was no way for you to accidentally turn all of those computers off. Oh, God. (laughs) Apologies. Uh, so we went on the Viral History Podcast they interviewed us about Rex Factor about the new series the animated show and I I think that's coming out very soon actually so probably it will be out by the time everyone gets to listen to this okay yeah that was
0: great fun they're such a great group of chaps yeah
1: really nice so check them out they've got some other podcasts out uh, as well which are really really good Um, and we might be appearing on their show again in the future are we Um, quite possibly cool details to follow oh Now, we're not on this podcast, but they have sent us a little teaser. They thought our listeners might appreciate it, and we're going to send their listeners a teaser as well. Right. A little exchange. This is the Worst Foot Forward podcast, and uh, it's a sort of comedy podcast, but where they are celebrating epic failures in history. I like the sound of that. So we've got a little clip for you coming up now, so do go and check them out. Hello, Rex Factor listeners. I'm Barry Day. And I'm Ben Vanderveld. And we'd love you to listen to Worst Foot Forward, our podcast all about failure. Each week, we are joined by a guest to discuss the world's worst something, from serial killer to monarch, sex scene to mythical creature. And along the way, we've discovered things like murderous game show contestants, pirates who plundered hats, February 30th, seagull wine, and the great detective Herlock Holmes.
0: Subscribe to Worst Foot Forward on iTunes, Spotify, Castbox, or wherever you get your podcasts
1: from check out our website worstfootforwardpodcast.com and join us for some fun-filled zero worship now we've had a few messages from some of our uh uh-huh. new in inverted commas, privy councillors, they right. joined a w- long time ago tina fattori oh yeah uh, familiar from facebook upon finding out i am a history teacher an englishman scoffed when i knew virtually nothing about the happenings of 1066 Worth mentioning that he didn't either, despite his assertion that it was the most important day in history. Mm -hmm. I argued that, as an Australian, that I had only ever begrudgingly studied the mother country. I secretly seethed over not knowing anything about the date, which led me to my years-long obsession with Rex Factor. I'm desperately trying to race my way through the Scottish rulers to be up-to-date for the grand final. I've been spreading the word to my classes and feel my professional peak was a student saying, By the holy face of Luca! Oh, Fantastic. Thanks for all the learning and hearty
0: chuckles. I think that's fine. I know nothing of Chinese history, you know.
1: But great that we could help. Stevie Nichol, or Florent. Hi, guys. Over the past couple of years, I've listened to all of your podcasts and have thoroughly enjoyed every one. I tend to listen to them while I'm doing my lab work, which leads to me laughing while pipetting, (laughs) much to the confusion of my colleagues. (laughs) Thanks a bunch for the great podcast and all your work. Chris64. You guys have given me great joy and knowledge. I only wish I could afford to date more. What? I'm thinking he meant to put donate more, but it it's more amusing. <gasps> oh, <laughs> right. Thank you. Uh, and now some messages from other listeners. Okay. Uh, well, actually, this isn't a message from a listener, but it's something I saw in a different kind of research. This is Christopher Robin from uh. the Winnie the Pooh stories. Oh, I remember this. Sorry. Yep. Carry on. Suddenly, Christopher Robin began to tell Pooh about some of the things people called kings and queens, and something called factors. It blows my mind, huh? And the factors with a capital F. Did Christopher Robin invent Rex Factor? But, and also, if not, what on earth could he have meant? Exactly. I, there's no context for it. It's, just, it's sort of the last... It's, I think it's the last story or something like that. So they're just sort of having this lovely little conversation. He goes on to night. Pooh and knights uh, him, Sir uh, Pooh de Bear. Brilliant. Something like that. But yeah, I've, I I cannot explain why he talks about factors we in need, relation to kings and queens.
0: We need a uh, literature um, person <laughs> and all <laughs> the estate of A.A. A. Milne yes. to get into contact and say, just what on earth was that about and do we owe you any royalties?
1: Mm-hmm. Miranda Sharp. Mm-hmm. How about a despot index to follow Scottish monarchs? My daughter has ideas for assessment categories. Body count, rebellion, (laughs) longevity, regime persistence, uh, and positive factors, culminating in the despicable factor.
0: That is very good. This person has a a career in history coming up and or podcasting. We need to watch our backs. That's (laughs) brilliant.
1: Tommy Herbert. Oh, hello. In the subjectivity section, you often talk about whether the monarch was a nice person and whether they left a good legacy. Mm. These are both worth discussing, but aren't really relevant to the question of whether you'd want to be a subject in the given reign. I suggest personality and legacy should be new factors if you do another series. If that's too many factors, roll legacy and dynasty together. That's an
0: awfully good point.
1: Yes, it is an interesting point, and I think it, we sort of I think we sort of decided that it depends a bit because actually, particularly early on the personality of the monarch has quite a direct impact on the events and on the people around them and that sort of thing. So, actually, it is quite important Mm. because it's framing the reign and it gives a sense of their popularity and whether people like them. Right. And I suppose even actually later on, even if they're not doing a lot to the events, it's still the perception that people have of the monarchy can be influenced by...
0: Right, okay.
1: ...personality of the monarchy. But also the legacy, yes, although arguably a long-term legacy doesn't do an awful lot to the person on the ground... Mm. I think it's still good to reward the long-term yeah. benefits I think you said for Alfred the Great mm. The positive thing of having somebody who plants a tree That they'll never live to see grow Or never get to sit under it Really? Shade or whatever, yeah.
0: I am profound mm.
1: And finally, Nick Lord Lancaster um, This was in reference to when we had Mary Queen of Scots Becoming Queen regnant at six days old And we were wondering about whether there were any pre-birth monarchs Oh yeah Alfonso twelfth of Spain died while his wife was pregnant. Their eldest daughter, Mercedes, was heir for her entire life, but the nation had to wait to see if the new baby was a boy who would then leapfrog his sister and become king, or a girl who would take her place at the end of the line. Six months later, the child was born and immediately crowned Alfonso the thirteenth. Wow! Upon being informed of this situation, my daughter declared, Spain. What a waszik. <laughs> Uh, excellent point and great use of the word wassac
0: <laughs> Spain <laughs>
1: uh, alternative oh, Tilbury speech for Elizabeth the yeah. first
0: <laughs> better in <laughs> actual yeah.
1: fact more to the point
0: yeah I am
1: a woman but Spain what a WASZOCK. Mm. something you can all get behind now you know off you go so thank you very much for all of your messages and please do keep them coming in even if you're Listening many years after we've actually done the episode, it's still really fun to hear about yeah. it and how much you disagree with Ali not giving the piece of Ball the Rex Factor, etc. Et how did he
0: come up again?
1: Um, I guess I mentioned him. Mm. There's more of that. I'm biding my time. <laughs> uh, yes, so that is it for our introduction to the consorts. Uh, the next episode that we're going to release will actually be a special episode on the Empress Matilda. Who we're not doing here? We're not doing here because she should have been the first ruler as queen the first female ruler of england but uh pesky stephen went in and stopped her so we had the anarchy. so she never crowned so we she was never crowned never fully rule, rule never fully ruled england so we didn't do in the first series she's not a consort so we're not doing in this one. But oh now man a special episode all to herself and that's the next one we're going to be doing
0: because if she genuinely
1: if she had been in either series this
0: one or our very first one she would have stood a great chance of winning. Well, let's find out when we do the special episode. Wow. God, she could have fallen between the cracks. So what was our one
1: there? Was it just on Stephen? It's just on Stephen, yeah. Blimey. And after that, we will begin with the first of the consort, Elswith. Elf- yeah, yeah. Who is the consort for Alfred the Great. Ali, I think, is going to have a lot of fun with the Saxon names again. Yeah. I might. Have, we might have to translate them again. <laughs> yeah that's all to come it's going to be fun yes certainly see you next time cheerio